So here we are in the very last week of the month of Maruch Hashvan. This, this week, Thursday and Friday, is going to be the beginning of the new month of Kislev. And that is such a special time, even as these winter nights are longer and darker. You know that the month of Kislev, that I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot in the coming weeks, is all about releasing the hidden light of creation into the world. That's what the whole idea of the, the Chanukiah, the light of the menorah of the temple is. It's really much more than that also, because it has to do with <clears throat> the whole concept of belief in Hashem, and the courage to stand up for belief in Hashem, and the wisdom of the Torah, divine wisdom, as opposed to the concept of Greek wisdom that was being foisted upon the children of Israel, as it were, <clears throat> when they when they desecrated the temple and they tried to get the Jews to believe only in things that can be <clears throat> scientifically proven and demonstrated. And of course, everything that we believe in is basically things that cannot be seen, like Hashem and the soul and, and the hereafter. and All the good things, all, all the things that make life worth living, ultimately. Um, and I was going to say, if you, if I can remember, there's even a connection to Greece and Rome. There's a reference uh, to Greece and Rome. You don't realize it. It's in this week's Parsha, Told Adult. But before we get into that, um, I know we had a little chat, as we always do before we begin our show. You know, we're we're getting ready for a Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Exactly. And always. Always, from since my childhood, above all of the holidays that we observe in this country, some I don't observe anymore, but this is one, thank God, uh, we still celebrate, and it's always been my favorite uh, holiday. Everything about it, the the uh, the usually we're we're blessed with wonderful weather. It's because it's like we're we're getting ready to leave, you know, autumn behind and, and get in, as you just mentioned, and just having everybody together around the table. And unlike a, a lot of very, uh, some of the popular holiday movies that come out, usually when you see movies about Thanksgiving, it's usually about the comedic, hilarious disasters that happen <laughs> actually, at Thanksgiving I actually tables. saw a list of what's called Thanksgiving fails, <laughs> like the most <laughs> common yeah. Thanksgiving fails, like how many percent, like percentage-wise, how many times this happened. And, and there was a list of things like, I forgot to defrost the turkey, um, yeah. I forgot the cranberry sauce, the turkey's undercooked, the turkey caught on fire, a pet ate the turkey, all sorts of things like that. So it's a, a whole... Well, not, yeah, not just that, but the, the movies generally are all about the fails in the family because... All of the family dynamics come out apparently at the at the Thanksgiving table. Again, thank God, Baruch Hashem, I've never had to experience that. I every every Thanksgiving I remember it just literally warms me up. Except the the, the one I think of that wasn't was when I was uh, single and and was living away from home and couldn't make it back to be with the family, and that really felt bad. But, but, you know, again, there were people that invited me over for Thanksgiving. And uh, it's, you know, just like you were saying to me earlier, this is really very much something that's a part of the narrative of, of the Parsha. It is. And first of all, as a rabbi who, um, shall I say, ministers to non-Jews, to B'nai Noach, as a, as a rabbi who has many... Uh, friends and students in the Noahide world, a question that I'm asked often by Noahides who want to do the right thing and who don't want to take upon something themselves that's not in Torah or something like that, they ask me if they should observe Thanksgiving. And I think... That's a, yeah, that's a surprising question, I think. Well, some, I'm sorry, some, some, you know, I guess some are, are overly zealous to make sure that they're not making up something new and that they want to be in the confines yeah. of... Of Hashem's will, and I, I'm emphatic that I think it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely, um, you know, one could say like, uh, not cynically, one could say like tongue in cheek. You know, every day should be Thanksgiving, and it really should be. But since it's not, and since most people uh, become somewhat desensitized from giving thanks, just that's just like 
part for the course of being a person is that people get very preoccupied with with the, the here and now. So to at least to take one day aside and say that this is really our time for thanking God, that is like such a beautiful concept. I don't know if it's still like that. So I was just kind of looking things up and I see that the first Thanksgiving was based on the Colonial Pilgrim's 1621 harvest meal. But mm-hmm. then I saw but then I saw right away a sentence. Uh, the holiday continues to be a day for Americans to gather for a day of feasting, football, and family. <laughs> I didn't see anything there about <laughs> about God. But anyway, but anyway, uh, you know, it's interesting that it, it was actually on th- on. Uh, it's always a Thursday, uh, the fourth Thursday in November, right? Do you know that it was yep. actually on Thursday, November twenty sixth, seventeen eighty nine, that President George Washington issued a proclamation for a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. And then beginning in 1863, President Lincoln encouraged, he's the one who encouraged Americans to recognize the last Thursday of November Mm -hmm. as a day of thanksgiving. But the thing is, the concept of thankfulness is so pivotal in Torah. I know that one of the times that that you and I have spoken about this a great deal is in Parshat Kitavo, in Deuteronomy, when we talk about the Bikurim, the first fruits, and the the pilgrim who brings the basket of first fruits of the land up to the Kohen in the Holy Temple and prostrates himself and gives over his thanks to Hashem, you know, in a, in a way, in the Jewish world, um, every Shabbat is kind of like a Thanksgiving Day meal with the, with the family around mm-hmm. the table, guests and the extended family, and certainly every every holiday and and, but but you know in the 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 concept of gathering together as a family and thanking thanking God for everything in one's life is, I think it's like a foundational thing for for society. Uh, I think when you look at the big complex pattern that is history, the best thing we can do is to not forget it, but to be grateful to where Hashem has brought us today, and and. And one more so word anyway, about thanks, like, just as a postscript, <clears throat> you know, um, and, and I know that we've spoken about it before, but it's so it's so much a part of um, a healthy mindset. It's so much a part of of um, you know what really makes the world go around. And <clears throat> you know, the Torah is full of all sorts of verses about how how good it is to praise Hashem. You know, but, by the way, a turkey in in Hebrew is called the Tarnagol Hodu. Right, and hodu means to give thanks, right? So, so, but the whole concept in in Torah of giving thanks to Hashem. Why are there so many verses that, that talk about how it's good to give praise to the Lord and and all the praise? It's because that is like this this um, spiritual force, like this energy that literally keeps the world going. Because Hashem is the truth of the world. Hashem is is the is the foundation of all reality. And recognition of that is is why he created the world in the first place, why he created man in the first place. So it's not, you know, like <clears throat> people think that what does God need to be to be told these things? Does he need to be complimented? Does he does he need to be praised? You know, is is he is he uh, you know that's not it at all. It has nothing to do with with anything on the on that kind of a of a human understanding. It's that this is really literally the nourishment of the universe. To thank Hashem, which which actually leads us directly back to the beginning of this week's Torah portion, because because that's really the concept of prayer altogether. The concept of prayer altogether is that it is this tremendously positive energy that goes and and sustains the world and sustains all of creation. You know, man, man reaching out beyond the, the confines of his own intellect and and striving to, for a connection with the Creator is literally the nourishment of the cosmos. <clears throat> and, the, and, and actually, in Parshat Toldot, which I know we, you and I both have so much to, to say about because it's such a tremendous you know, turning point and it's, and it's such drama. <laughs> it's like it's so, history's going by so quickly because we just met Rivka and, y- and Yitzchak just took Rivka into his tent and they just got married. And now all of a sudden, this whole new, incredibly explosive scenario is coming into being. But so in the beginning of the Torah portion of Toldot, in, in chapter 25 and verse 19, as it begins, uh, with the, these are the offspring of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. So the two of them, Isaac and 
Rebecca, Yitzchak and Rivka are praying. Isaac entreated Hashem opposite his wife because she was barren. So this is um, a major theme that we find with the matriarchs, <clears throat> that the only way that they were able to conceive and have children was through prayer because they were not, they were barren. Whatever that means, and each, each one is a different situation. Why is that? You know, here we get into the whole question of why do, why do good people suffer and why is it that, you know, <clears throat> Torah goes out of its way to give us this lesson that it didn't come easy to them. You know, and here, here we're talking about the nation that God chose. We're talking about the, the promise that God gave to Abraham at the age of, of 99, you know, after nearly having him kill his son that he promised that his seed would go through him. And, and every step of the way just seems to be so convoluted. You know, now, again, Yitzhak and Rivka are, are in opposite corners of the room, we, we learn, and they're praying for a child. Why do they have to go through that? I think it's because, uh, I mean, it's to me, it's right there on the page for all of us in each of these instances where uh, all of the great, the great uh, women of the Torah uh, pray in behalf of, of and, and even in the Tanakh, uh, we have Hannah. They're, they're all praying for children. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, and the, the connection is it's very much likened to what Hashem told uh, this, his newly minted nation at Sinai. He, he said, you're a nation, I'm going to take you to the promised land. But remember, it's not like Egypt, where everything just you know flows from the Nile, and, and people don't have to think about where the rains come from. You, In essence, he says to them, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, yet it's not like Egypt, so you have to constantly live by faith. And because the, the central figures of the Torah, are their lives are uh, textbooks for how to live our lives, God is, is telling the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, you have to live by faith. You, you, have, to, I, I, you have to experience the, uh, the, what happens when you pray. And, and so... I'm, I'm sort of stumbling through this, but no, you're exactly the, the right. Idea is, you're exactly right. Can, can I go ahead? In the words of our sages, in the words of our sages, literally, as it's as if Hashem Himself, as if God has a desire. Of course, He's not a person to use that expression, but He, He wants to hear the prayers of the righteous. Yeah, Be and again, it, this is directly connected with what we were talking about earlier: the importance of of being thankful, the importance of expressing our appreciation. But when it comes to to prayer, especially of the righteous, that, that is those that are seeking out Hashem and trying to live by His Word and trying to bring light into the world, it's like He puts them in a situation where their backs will be up against the wall. Yeah. And that's that's the secret of what's going on here. And and I want to I want to expound upon that in a moment, but but that's this idea. It's literally the expression of the sages is that is that God craves is the, actually the word. He desires to hear the prayers of, of the righteous. Why? Does he, does he, does he, is he toying with them? Is he, he's not a cynic. He's not, he's, not, he's not cruel. It's because that is what brings out the best in a person, and that's the food of the universe. In other words, this is not some sort of mumbo-jumbo here. This is not some sort of mystical equation, you know, oh, when I say, oh, prayer is good for the world, it brings about, it brings about a, a spiritual unification. Why? Why? Because it, it, it makes a person really become a better person. And, and I'm going to prove that to you momentarily. So, so, so we, have, we have that understanding of, of why God sets difficult things up for, for people. I, this is going to catapult me to another thing later, which is well, what about the unanswered prayer is a very important subject yeah. as well. But Can I, can I add please. to that? I want to, I want to sort of, in parentheses, uh, finish my, my thought because uh, the main idea is it's a concept we hear, but it's real, is that prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. 
That's what God wants. You know, this is either very, this is a very contemporary idea that's finally catching up with Torah. The idea of of uh, self motivation, of getting up in the morning, and and people that don't believe in God probably these these uh, movers and shakers, their secret is they get up in the morning and they go look in the mirror and they say, "Today, I'm going to do such and such. I can do it." And the, the, the reason they do this is because they've learned, psychologists have told us, that when you speak words of, of, of positive nature and that are that strengthen, and you speak them out loud and they go back in your ear, that you literally are, are strengthened. You literally are encouraged. And God, you know, God made us that way. It's, it, it is a mechanism that he is saying, I want you to do this so that you will change. I don't need to change. I want you to change and I want you. And the funny thing is, the sad thing is it works in the opposite way. If we're if we're complaining out loud, if we're saying, oh, you know, I, I remember uh, years ago when I lived in Dallas and, and I had this expression, this horrible expression when when somebody would say, ask me what I thought about doing something. And I would always say, well, I, I can do it. Uh, nobody put a gun to my head. Well, you know, I don't say that anymore. You know why? Because somebody literally walked into a store I was working in and put a gun to my head. So be careful what you say out loud and what you pray for. You know what I mean? So so there's the idea. It is an actual spiritual and physical mechanism that God embedded in us, right? Perfect, perfect. And, And not only that, but if you remember... This is exactly how we explained around Rosh Hashanah time uh, the, the, the concept of, of blowing the shofar and the, the, the Chazal, our sages say this cryptic kind of enigmatic teaching that, that uh, when we blow the shofar, God gets up from the throne of harsh justice and sits on the throne of mercy. So how do we understand that teaching? He's not a person. He doesn't sit in a chair. And what does it mean that something that we do as if has an effect on him so that he actually changes his pose, his posture, like from a viewpoint of wanting to administer swift justice to, to mercy? How does that work through the sending of the shofar? It sounds like some sort of voodoo or something that we're, that we're exercising on God, but it's exactly what you just described because there's a change within us when we hear the shofar, and that's what he's waiting for. There's a change within us, and that's what makes him react, as it were, the fact that we want to be better people. It's all about this kind of self-motivation. And one of the most beautiful lessons on this topic, I know I've shared it before. Uh, I know I know, not long ago, I, me- I mentioned this in a, one of our Zoom classes, but there's an amazing word here. You know, there are 10 different words throughout Torah that describe prayer. There are 10 different expressions. We find some of them in the book of Psalms and some of them in other places in in Torah and in in Tanakh altogether. But there's a word that's used here which is not the usual word. It's a bit unusual. And it says here in verse 21 here in chapter 25, the beginning of Toldot, it says, So it's translated here, and my translation is, Isaac entreated Hashem. So this word atira, actually in modern Hebrew, also like, um, I think when one brings an appeal to a court, it's called an atira also. So it's a, a certain a, type a of... A plea. Uh, a plea, right, right. So Yitzchak yeah. entreated Hashem because, uh, because opposite his wife because she was barren. And then the next verse, which is so hard to translate, it's, it's vayater lo Hashem, which they're translating as Hashem allowed himself to be entreated. Okay, so Yitzchak entreated and Hashem... Okay, said, okay, I'll be, I'll be entreated. So what does this really mean? So there's a tremendous secret here, because like I say, there are many different words that express the concept of tefillah, which I also want to talk about prayer. But the root of this word, of all things, and this is like absolutely one of the deepest lessons in the world, the root is a pitchfork. So what is a pitchfork, right? A pitchfork is like you take this implement and you are sticking it into the hay, and you're turning it up from the bottom. You're turning it up, right? right? So when, when one does that, then all kinds of stuff comes up from the bottom, right? So the idea of, this is exactly what you were saying. I see you smiling. It's the idea of prayer is like you have to basically face 
yourself, like who you are, where have you been, what have you done, how is Hashem looking at you, how am I looking at myself, what are my aspirations, how can I fix this, because I'm asking Hashem to fix it, well, I'm not asking him to do it himself. So you're going through this this very, very uh, intense kind of um, um, process of self-examination, and because you go, you're willing to do that, that Hashem, as it were, allows Himself to be pitchforked. Right? So basically, what the what the proper the proper translation would be is that is that what Isaac was doing was that he was churning up, he was churning up, and so this is Mita Kenegad Mita Jim. That's why this is so beautiful because the whole universe is karma of uh, the Hashem's way of doing things is always measure for measure. So Hashem, yeah. so and that's the idea about Hashem going from the throne of harsh justice to the throne of mercy, right? Because we're trying to change inside. So Hashem says to Yitzchak, basically, if you're churning yourself up and you're pulling yourself upside out, you know, from inside out, I will also allow myself to. In other words, I will, I will have my midah, my attribute, as it were, of divine mercy, rise to the surface as well and give you a child. So in other words, it's all this kind of um, commensurate relationship as th- that verse in Psalms that we're fond of quoting, that David says, Hashem is your shadow at your right hand, which is a strange way of describing God because my, my shadow does what I do exactly. Hashem responds, as it were, but we're, it's anilododi, where we have to make the first move, and then Hashem responds in turn. Yeah, it, 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 what you're talking about is, is something that's vitally uh, important in, in the, the act of prayer, and aren't we taught to begin our prayers by first uh, enumerating what we are thankful for? We, we do that first, and I've, I've always, this occurred to me years ago, and I believe I've shared this before, when I was in radio, and I was think, I was first of all, I was thinking about a camera. It's so strange, uh, the, the mind, you know, here I am playing rock and roll records, and I'm sitting in this control room, and I'm thinking about a camera, and how we, you know, we don't create anything, we, we fashion things, we make things, because God has created everything, so every technological advance is actually us mimicking something that a concept, a dynamic that God has already created. So when when people discovered the camera, they were they were creating something that was uh, a parallel to the eye, and th- this is where they got the idea. And I thought, well, I thought there must be a parallel to what I'm doing here in the studio, sending out my voice when I open the mic through the air, miraculously it seems. And it's received by someone's radio. And I thought, well, of course there is a, a parallel. Prayer. This this literally hit me sitting in between play and the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and because it occurred to me, like, I know how a microphone works. There's a ribbon in there, and when I speak into it, my the the my my voice is picked up by the coil that's vibrating at a higher frequency than my voice. And it's changed into a radio signal, which is an even higher frequency. So it, can, it has to do that so it can even be sent through the air. And then when it gets through the air, it hits the target, which is the radio. This is like a, another parallel to the pitchfork, if you will. It hits the target and it's received. And I thought, well, so what is the, what is the, the, the parallel to, to being the signal being stepped up frequency further? And it's our own belief our belief is is the uh, tra- is is the transmitter. Our belief is uh, it steps up and excites the the uh, our words and and it charges them and and turns them into something that can be sent. So so that's why belief and gratefulness actually is is the the this uh, mechanism that that actually allows those prayers to be sent because if you don't believe in what you're praying I don't think God I don't think God hears it I mean of course God hears everything but God knows that you don't believe in what you're saying in <clears throat> fact I think what you're saying is in other words it's not just like it can't just be like lip service or empty words or like oh, I'm doing this because right. it has to you have to really feel that it's going to make a difference 
And this yeah. goes hand in yeah. hand with, with the first thing that we were talking about, which is thankfulness. <clears throat> the thing is, what you just mentioned about belief and everything, that, you know, the challenge to all of this is the subject of people who feel that their prayers go unanswered. And it's a sore point for a lot of people who, are, you, you know, you hear this all the time, that, you know, like, God does not hear my prayers. He's, he, you know, I ask for such and such, he doesn't answer, so therefore he doesn't exist, and that's that I'm not playing ball anymore because he, with him, you know, because he's obviously not a God of love, et cetera, et cetera, and all the things that people hear because they expect things to go a certain way and they want things to be on their terms and they feel, you know, abandoned and it's a perfectly human uh, reaction, you know. But this is this is a very, very beautiful idea as well. And of course, I, I guess maybe the main place where we find this, maybe the, one of the main sources of, of Torah that highlights, that spotlights this idea is Deuteronomy chapter 3, Ve'etchanan, um, Parshat Ve'etchanan is where Moshe implored Hashem to enter into the land. It was so important to him. It's all he cared about was being able to come into the land. And that, and that's the whole idea that uh, the word Ve'etchanan, which is the name of that Torah portion, chapter 3, verse 23, it has the numerical value. Yeah, I know you like Gematria of 515, which uh, expresses the idea that our sages tell us that he actually prayed 515 different prayers about coming into the land. 515, why that number is an, another story. 515 unique prayers expressing his desire in holiness to come into the land. And of course, um, Hashem said to him, enough. Don't, don't uh, talk to me any further about this and this whole idea. The sages tell us that if you would have, if you would have been permitted to do one more prayer, <laughs> that would have like kicked it over the top and he would have been able to come in, but that was not meant to be. But this opens up the whole subject of, well, what about prayers that seem to go unanswered? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to hazard something on that before I continue my... Well, I, I, think, I think that you brought up as, uh, something that's very very much uh, an aspect that is in the opening of this Parsha. How old is Isaac at the beginning of, of the Parsha? He's 40 years old. And th- this, is one of those, this is one of those times I think that it's, it's important for us to point out that when you read the verses of the Torah, within a sentence, decades can pass. And when, when he's 40 years old, Rabbi, it, tell, it talks about he and Rivka praying for children. How old, wh- wh- how old was, was uh, Isaac when they finally got children? How old was he? He was in his 60s. If you look, this is why I love the other, the other sources that the people of Israel have handed down to us, like Seder HaOlam. Seder HaOlam basically gives you context. It gives you historical context. It shows you that, that uh, Isaac and Rivka actually had to think about, are we praying enough? Because God did not immediately answer their prayers for children. It was almost 20 years later when, when they had children. I was, looking at, uh, I was looking at something very interesting about, about the figures. I made some notes here uh, that uh, Isaac was 40 years old. Um, this is only three years after the Yakidah. okay? And Avraham is still alive. The last Torah Parsha, it sounded like everybody had, had died and gone away. No, it's because, the, because the, these, these are almost like parenthetical uh, digressions, talking about another, pe- another like part the of the family. Some, somehow overlap. It's, it's, out of, it's, it's like a, like kind of like a, an, an, a, an exception to the narrative. It's kind of like weaves in and out. Yeah, yeah. Here we're going to, we taught you about Avraham. Now we're going to tell you all about Isaac and Rivka. Uh, Isaac was 40 years old. This is three years after the Yakidah. Avraham is still alive. Ishmael is still alive. Shem is still alive. The son of Noah, he's still alive. And because and, and this is necessary because the the death of Avraham plays very much into this narrative. But but it also plays into the narrative that when the, the children are born and and Rivka is having such problems with carrying the children, they're 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 wrestling in the womb. And she's so 
she's so troubled by the pains that she has to go inquire. And, and the oral tradition tells us she, she went to Moriah. And, and uh, Rashi and others say that the, the, the Torah text says she wanted to inquire of God. So how did God, uh, how, how did people inquire of God? Generally through a prophet. And of course, who was the prophet in those days? Shem. It, it was Shem. Shem, Melchizedek. So she goes up to what we now call Yerushalayim. She wants to she wants to talk to Shem, but she also goes to see her father-in-law, Avraham. She gets an opinion from both of them. And she says, what's going on with me? And now she, by the way, when this is happening, this is, this is a few verses, right, just a very few verses after it says, it was 40, it was, he was 40 years old. She was, she was a child when she was betrothed to him, but they didn't marry, they didn't consummate the marriage until later, and she's now in her 20s. Here's this young woman of faith in her 20s, and she is going through these, these pangs, and she says, what's going on? And, you know, one way to say it and, and to wrap it up is, as they both told her, there's history there's history turning around in your womb. There's the course of two peoples, and the course of the world is going to is literally going to come forth out of your womb. That's the key to understanding the whole parsha, which is so, you know, uh, elusive, and which seems to be so strange. Really, everything that happens, because uh, normally speaking, in just about every situation. Um, you know, there's different levels of interpretation. There's there's pardes, and so there and so the sages have their methodology of explaining different levels of meaning in different in different verses, right, in scripture. And like the one exception to that in the whole Torah is in this parsha, where Hashem Himself. This is incredible to think about. It's just it's it's mind blowing because Hashem Himself said to Rivka. What's going on in your womb is not about you. It's about two nations. It's a symbol. And as a you are used to hearing that kind of thing from the sages or from a prophet. You know, they'll explain that this has another meaning. But here, the answer that she received is, well, of course you're going through these, this, all these, um, all these incredible uh, uh, feelings because you are basically you have been catapulted from the microcosm of who you are to something else altogether. And that never happened before or really since in, in Torah that that she was told that this literally, what's going on, because what happened? I mean, every woman can have all sorts of um, uh, uh, contraction, early contractions and, 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 and false labor and pains and, and all sorts of things. And she wasn't the first. And so, you know, what woman who has labor pains or, or who has any sort of uh, a discomfort in pregnancy goes to uh, to get a spiritual answer? You know, every everybody, all all women go through these things and and they work it out. But so what our sages tell us is that she didn't feel normal uh, discomfort or associated with a normal pregnancy, and and they talk about how. You know that there was obviously something very spiritual going on because of the reaction that the that the uh, the fetuses seemed to have to to what was going on outside, and and Yaakov was drawn to holiness and Asaph. So she finds out that literally what what she's carrying is not doesn't even exist on the level of the personal level, but it's all a metaphor. Because there, this is the beginning of history. This is the beginning of, of a new era. This connects her to Eve, connects her directly to Eve, to Ahava. Because what, when in the Torah do we previously hear about trouble in childbirth? But that's what Hashem told Chava is down the road. Yeah, and, and the idea that she was having these, these actual uh, pangs of, of, of pain and contractions and things like that of these children that is is a direct connection with Eve because Eve was told that you will have change I'm, I'm trans I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing but when they come out when they're when they come out of Gan Eden when they're when they're asked to leave the Gan Eden basically one of the things this is God says to Eve now you will experience uh, pain in, in childbirth and so this and, and when you, if you remember that, if our, our audience will remember that when they're reading this Parsha, that she is this parallel to, she is like 
a uh, everything is connected to Eve and even what happened in Gan Eden. It's answering the prophecy given, right? You're so spot on because it's, it, it, there's another place where it's, uh, I mean, certainly according to the mystic sages, according, according to that understanding where it's so, it's so uh, obvious because what happens is that, first of all, what happens is, you know, it's, it's, it, people, you know, open this up and they try to understand like it looks like Yaakov is like, is like the deceiver and what's going on here and, and why did he have to do it this way and why did Hashem arrange it this way and, and what was Yitzchak's position in this and why did he favor Esau is a whole another amazing idea like why exactly did he favor Esau because we see what Esau is and we know that he's a bloodthirsty, monstrous, uh, licentious murderer basically but, but the thing is Rivka received a prophecy like you, like you just mentioned, she received this prophecy when she had this discomfort, and she's told the two nations are in your womb. That was her private prophecy. She never shared that with Yitzchak. So she knew all along. She knew all along what was going on, and he did not, for for the reasons that exist. Right? She didn't share that with him. So she's waiting for this to to materialize. Right? And so she had this prophecy, and she instructed Yaakov, "This is the way we have to." Go about this because Yitzchak is now ready to uh, to see what Hashem brings him, what is in store to determine who is going to be the again the torchbearer of Avraham Avinu's legacy, who is going to be the rep- who is going to bring this message of Israel into the world. As far as Yitzchak was concerned, it could be Esav, because he looked at Esav, and Esav, as you know, as you you and I both know, is a very tragic figure because he had a certain quality and his quality was that he was very connected to the earth and Yitzhak thought that was great because it's because that's where we need to serve Hashem in this world and so if it's if it's possible only to like to be connected to the earth but to elevate it to a sense of of godliness to bring Hashem's presence into the world that's exactly what the definition of a Jew is supposed to be so Yitzhak was was happy about that the problem is that Yitzhak was completely material and again, this has, this is fast forward to Hanukkah and to the whole Asavian th- philosophy and take on the worldview, which has to do with the Asavian religion as well. And it's all material; it's all embodiment. And so, and so, th- the problem is that Asav was not able to bring Hashem into this world because he was completely sunk into the materialism of this world. But in any event, what I want to mention about about the the Rebecca backslash Chava. A connection is that when she tells him what you know what to do, uh, and he says, "But what he, what if he what if he knows what's going on and everything?" and and he curses me instead of blesses me. His mother said to him, "Your curse be on me, my son. Only heed my voice." And so and so the idea that's expressed in mystical thought is that you know, the two of them now, Yaakov and his mother Rivka, are Adam and Chava. They had they had been the married couple, and now it's this position of son and mother, and she's saying, listen to me. (laughs) The Adam in Yitzchak could say, last time I listened to you, it was very bad. So she's saying, and 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 he could say, last time I listened to you, it was very bad, and it resulted in a curse, and she's saying, your curse be upon me. Only heed my voice. I know that you're thinking like, I'm not going to listen to you because last time, no, this time, listen to me, and I'm fixing that. I'm fixing that. It's all about tikkun. It's all about Hashem giving the same root soul, the same opportunity again to fix it. Yeah, and what happens is he, she gives him, and, and again the connection to to Adam and Eve is that God fashioned them garments of skin. And there is a lot of mystical uh, aspects of that, but on the on the closer to the uh, shot? simple level, the but shot. The idea is that those those garments are the very garments exactly. that she clothed him in. Exactly. This is amazing. When it Rabbi, says that she I mean, took you, her 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 older yeah. son Asaph's clean garments, which were with her in the house, and clothed Jacob, those are the garments. You know, this is one of my favorite mm-hmm. subjects in the world. Those are the garments sure, that Hashem gave to Adam, and Asaph, of course, mm-hmm. murdered Nimrod, uh, mm-hmm. who had who had taken them. And so uh, they became Yaakov's yeah. I mean, at that that's, point. That's what's amazing. Is that, again, you talk about this is the garments, by the way, for our, our audience, were stolen. They were stolen when they came out of the ark. 
and, and, and Ham took them and gave them to Cush. Cush them gave them to Nimrod. And these, this, this clothing was so beautiful and so, uh, you know, traffic-stopping that even animals responded to it. I mean, when, when Nimrod put on these garments, he believed that they made him invulnerable. So what happens is not only do they sort of do a great reset there in this drama, they, 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 they show that there's a kind of a, that Esav is the new Adam. He is going to, he's going to, you know, this is, this is why his seed is called the firstborn. His, the nation that's, that comes out of, out of him at, at Sinai, Hashem calls Israel his firstborn. And, and the idea is that he puts those garments on and he and now they've been restored to the rightful owner. Of course, because you read the story, Esau was never interested in the in the birthright altogether. He he when he understood what it meant, because that this was what happened. And again, you talk about history passing. You talk about how in one verse there could be decades. I mean, this whole thing is spellbind, spellbinding speed here. What's going on? Because Parshat mm-hmm. Toldot opens up after everything that we went through, the emotional roller coaster of Parshat Vayera. Right? It opens up. Right. And we don't know anything about anything about anything. We've never had any sort of conversation with Yitzchak since the Akedah. We don't know who Rivka is. And all of a sudden, I, we find that um, the boys are older already, her, her twins, Yaakov and Esav, and, and come a day, and uh, Esav comes in from the field exhausted, and Yaakov is cooking a stew. <laughs> so, like, Esav says, you know, pour, it, pour some of that in, down my throat. That's the Hebrew, right? He's just... Feed me some of that red stuff. And that's why his name is called Adom, the verse says, parenthetically. And so he says, well, I will for the price of the birthright. What is all this all about, you know? And so we understand that that Asaph had already basically demonstrated his true nature that very day, which was the day that Avraham was buried, right? And, ya- and Yaakov was cooking uh, the traditional mourner's meal of, of lentils because it's round, Right. And uh, Asaph had already raped a betrothed woman and murdered and done idolatry and all these kind of things. And so he finds out that Avraham passed away. And so he feels, what, this is, the, this is life? Like a person, like even with a, was a tzaddik, like leaves the world. So like, I don't believe in anything. I don't want this world. I don't want the next world, you know. And he basically denied God altogether. So, so Yaakov said, so then, uh, let, you know, let me have the birthright. Mm-hmm. So, and why was he of that mindset? Why and why was he? We we've just been talking about it's the whole thing that that, that you you really wanted to talk about today. Why did Esav, who had they had the same parents, they had the same loving parents, but for some reason, Yaakov takes up the 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 torch. He studies. He's a, he's a, a quiet man of the field, and here is this guy who cannot control his passions. He's his his all of his motivations are driven by his desires and his passions, not by logic. That's all. That is the best all. definition I ever heard of Asav. The word itself, Asav, is basically like a form of like asui. It's like ready-made. It's, and that's why Chazal tell us this, the, the, these mysterious teachings. And again, everything, and I, I've been emphasizing this every single week in our videos, that every single parable and metaphor in the Midrash is coming to teach us unbelievable lessons. It's not literal. So they, they say that Esav, when he came out of the, the, the womb, he was like a little man, like he had a full beard. And a his nails were growing <laughs> in his hair. What is that? What is that all about? It's like, it's all about not waiting. It's all about immediate gratification and it's all about like like mis self-satisfaction and a certain kind of narcissistic attitude as well so that that's why he uses this unbelievable word that appears nowhere else about the about the food which he didn't have the patience to even name it's like this red stuff and he says halitani means literally pour it down my throat like i'll i don't even want to exert myself i'll stand here open my mouth you pour it down my throat you know uh, like a friend of mine from uh, Tennessee once said, uh, "Feed me, burp me, get me out of here," kind of thing. So, <laughs> so he's so he, that that's what he's doing, and uh, and of course one of the greatest mysteries is and, and again there's so much here because of who Esav is today because of why Hashem arranged Yaakov and Esav to be in the same womb, and and uh, yeah. And uh, they're twins. The they're twins, twins. Right. We forget that. And 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 what does it mean that Rivka, 
loved Yaakov, but Yitzchak loved Esav because of the hunting in his mouth. So we understand why Rivka loved uh, Esav because, uh, after all, uh, uh, why Rivka loved Yaakov because, after all, she, she came from a home of idolaters and she recognized when, when, when someone is, is good and when someone is bad. But when the verse says, verse 28, Isaac loved Esav for game was in his mouth, kitzayit befiv, that he hunted in his mouth, it's, it seems like Yitzchak is being portrayed as someone who is naive, as someone who who can easily be uh, bought off, or God forbid, or influenced, or or doesn't know what's go- really going on, <laughs> and and you know the example that the sages say that you know that that Esav did this literally the words mean mouth hunting. First, we know that Esav was certainly a hunter, and he hunted not only animals but but other men and other and men's wives, and he was a total ex- exploitive, manipulating, uh, self proclaimed, uh, you know. Uh, Politician? Oh, wait, no. So, so, so the thing is, you know, so the, the sages say that, well, you know, Esau uh, tried to convince Yitzchak of, of his good intentions. He, he feigned a certain kind of piety, like he made up, made up all kinds of questions, like, how do I take the tith off of salt and straw and all of these things that don't even exist, these concepts, like he was trying to show, like he's super from, you know, like he's like so religious, like he wants to be like a good boy. And, um, and that's what how most people interpret interpret this, but um, that's not really the the way that we understand it at all. In fact, one of the most beautiful uh, explanations in, in the light of the reality of what the, the sages are really teaching is actually in another book that I happen to have the Hebrew here, but I know it's been translated into English. This is the 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 commentary on the Torah portions of uh, Rabbi um, Yonatan Sachs. Of blessed memory, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of England, of the excuse me of the British Empire, and um, he he has very very beautiful uh, work. I know that it's in English available. I think it's called Covenant and Conversation, but I have the Hebrew uh, the Hebrew edition here. So uh, his his um, you know he was a tremendous thinker, and his. Torah commentary is always uh, flavored with uh, beautiful philosophy and his general knowledge. And he says the most unbelievable thing there. He says that that Yitzhak knew very well who Esav was. And despite that, or maybe because of that, he tried to show him even more love. Just like when you have when you have a child that is wayward and that is uh, n- not reflecting your values, even though you tried very hard to educate the child, as opposed to like turning the child out, God forbid, or being or being cold to the child, or not or not, um, you know, not being inclusive and not embracing that, you have to do the opposite. You have to be even more warm to that child and show that child even more love. So he's basically saying that that's how Yitzchak was reacting to Esav, and that he loved him. When the verse says he loved him, he loved him because of the the fact that he used to do these crazy kind of games and try to and try to pull the wool over his eyes. That's why he loved him, because he felt so bad. That's, he's saying that's how to understand that, that verse, is that he, he loved him because he saw that he needed, he was so needy, he was so needy that he had to like literally go through all of these you know, machinations to try to get his attention and to try to be on his good side. He was like, he was so poor that, he, that Yitzhak yeah. felt like he has to try and, and bring him closer. Yeah, but he the the dichotomy is that he was that Isaac was also blinded because he looked he looked at the external because because that's the whole message here is is you can be you, if you look only at the at the external you know you oh these are the hands of Esav, but when he's in the tent getting the when when Yaakov's getting the blessing he's covered he has the he has the robes of of that Esav has reclaimed for the family, and he has these hairy palms. He's, he's enclosed in the physicality of Esau. And the physicality of Esau, I think, is what blinded Esau because his father looked at how passive Yaakov seemed to be, and yet Esau was this hunter, and he, was, he would go out in the fields, and, and he was, you know, of course, we don't know if, he heard, if anybody told him about what Esau was doing on the side, but he thought, here is a man whose, whose strength uh, represents 
royalty. He, we, we need someone who's going to lead a nation, who's going to, that in his loins will be the DNA for leadership, for strength. And the, of course, the amazing thing is, is that that blessing that was rightfully given, because, because as you pointed out, because Rivka remembered what Hashem had told her, that the elder will serve the younger. That was the one thing that she had. And she's on waiting to, to see that materialize. And, yeah, and she realized, exactly. okay, this so, is it now. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and talk about people talk about the the Torah. Uh, you know, people who don't know better will talk about the Torah diminishes the role of wom- of women. On oh, that again, Rivka Rivka <laughs> changed history. If Rivka had not stepped forward and taken the initiative, and been bold and said. God told me. Exactly. And people look at this, you know, the, the, the haters out there. <laughs> How many times have I heard this? Like, oh, yeah, like the Yaakov, like Judah, you know, like Yaakov, Yaakov mm-hmm. went and, and deceived him, right? This is exactly what Rivka told him to do because Rivka was the prophet. Yeah, and she told him this is the way it has to be done here. Yeah. She got it straight from, right. if you will, the mouth of the Creator. Right. It was, she, it was, she had the necessary to go yeah, through that she, theater for, for whatever. But, but, what I see that's also a, a interesting dynamic is that uh, Itzhak knows something is up, and it's it's as if Rivka's other message to him by dressing up her son, their son, and sending him in to get the blessing, she's saying that, you know, this is a charade, it's a holy charade, but you know what, Itzhak, you need to fit, you need to see that you're elder son is also playing a charade on you. Exactly. And the scenario is so powerful when you really study what's going on here. It's Pesach night. There was no Pesach yet. There was no nation of Israel yet to go out of Egypt, but yet the energy is there because it's parallel universes. It's all... um, not microcrystallography. It's all it's all <laughs> quantum <laughs> physics, right? It's all going yeah, on. Yeah. There is no time. It's yeah. all going on. And so this is Pesach night. And mm-hmm. what's at stake is the destiny of all humanity. And Yitzchak is is not naive. And yes, Rivka says this is the way we have to do it through this charade. And Yitzchak is like, whoever Hashem sends me, that's who it's supposed to be. Right? Because this is a strange thing. Like, he's not sure what's going on. He can't see. And he is disturbed because he says, like, something here is strange. Like, you know, is this my son Esav or not? And so so he comes closer. And this is unbelievable. People don't appreciate what this really is. It's been, and it's been, you know, it's been explained, you know, to the nth degree, thousands of times. What does it really mean? Where Yitzchak says, Gosh, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esav. And you know what? That's exactly what he's looking for. That's exactly the combination. When people read that, they think it's like he was troubled and perplexed, and it's like something is wrong here. Well, if something is so wrong, why did he go ahead and bless him? That's the strangest thing of all. If he was so disturbed and he didn't understand what's going on, and it doesn't compute, then how come he... But it says... This is strange. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are Esau's hands. But he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like the hands of Esau's brother. So he blessed him. Well, if he had a question, then why did he bless him? Because this is what he was counting on Hashem, that that should be the archetype of who Israel has to be. It has to be the voice of Jacob, which represents the spiritual, you know, the prayer and the, and, 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 and the power of, of Torah, as it were. But the, yeah, the hands of Esau is not a bad thing if it's tempered by the voice of Jacob. And who do we, and this is so marvelous, who, what other redhead in history, in the history of Israel, do we see that is the realization of what he blessed in that Yes, tent? but what was the difference, the verse says? Well, the difference. The, no, the verse yeah, says. The di- go, no, again. He was also ready with beautiful eyes. That's right. Exactly. King David. It's King David. King David was redheaded, and he, so you could and he was he had he was a great warrior, he was regal in every sense of the word, and yet when he opened his mouth, what came out? Only Torah. Torah and prayer. But that's exactly what that verse also in Samuel is is intimating about this about this the, the good qualities as it were of being admoni of being ruddy, 
is is because you know a, a person can disguise themselves, but you can never disguise the eyes because the eyes are a window to the soul. And the verse is going out of its way to tell us that he had beautiful eyes, and, yeah. and, th and that was the power of his of his Amen. soul. I have to tell you, I really, yeah. I really like this video format because I get to hold up all these books and I get to recommend books. You know, we have like a whole reading club. I, I haven't even started yet, and of course, soon, soon, God willing, at some point in the near future, we'll have guests as well. But in the meantime, I get to Amen. show, I get to show some of my favorite books. I have one here by an author, who's too proud to speak <laughs> to me. His name is, his name is James D. Long. Oh, him. yes. And actually, yeah. mine is inscribed. It's so beautiful. I'm going to cry. It says, to my brother, Rabbi. Amen. And this book is so amazing. I highly recommend it. It's by yours truly, James D. Long, and it's called Blood Brother. And there is a, a whole chapter here about Esau, and then a whole chapter about what you call, I think, the politics of Esau. And it's yeah, absolutely yeah. riveting because you basically talk about the force of Esau, uh, and how it uh, basically um, grew through the world. You talk about uh, Europe, you talk about rampant consumerism, you talk about the modern Western world. It is an, an incredible, incredible work. I also, I also talk about Esau's Messiah. Yes, you do. Yeah, and, and we, if just You want to just tell everyone to, where, where they can get this book? Well, from lightcatcherbooks.com. It's uh, it's our our small little online store, and uh, the that was such a uh, writing this book was such a, a rewarding learning experience for me, Rabbi, because I always wanted I, the book. The whole the whole catalyst for the book was it was two reasons. Why did Esav go the way he went? Why did he choose that route? And secondly, why do the rabbis say that Esav is is Rome? Is a dome. Why is it Rome? And I wanted to chart the course uh, historically and geopolitically that shows that Esau, out of Esau's loins, really did become the foundations of the Roman Empire, which gave birth to the Western world, and the Roman Empire also gave birth to Christianity. And everything that we read, you know, it's so funny that this is one of the few times in the Torah. That, that the Torah uses the physical description of, of one of the figures. It's very rare. It is. And, and the, 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 that tells us, I mean, even, even that method of telling us about Esau, about describing him, is a teaching. If the idea is that Esau was, was was, uh, had fallen prey to his physicality. He said, yes, I am, I am born complete. I am a self-made man. I don't need anybody else. And his, 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 the, the nature of him being red and the, the, the blessing that, that, that uh, was given to him by his father when he, he went into the tent and said, and he lied. He said, he said there he goes. Yaakov uh, has, has stolen from me my, my blessing. No. You sold it. Uh, you, my, my, my birthright. You sold it. So he's lying already, but the point is, is that, and that it's important to remember that these two were twins, and Esau was the twin, and his his posterity, his worldview, is a twin, a, a bad twin of Judaism, because the I'm going to say it right here, we may lose some listeners. Uh, the, the church is is a is a mirror image, an attempted image of the temple of God. And it doesn't quite, it doesn't even get near to what it's supposed to be. And the idea of being ruled by your emotions, the way Esau was, the, 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 and the, the idea of, of, of a the, God that, that can be represented in material is, form, you can't get any more Esau than that. And the bloodshed of, of that has accompanied Christianity through the centuries is so uh, self-evident that this is the mindset this is the DNA of Esau. And the idea is of, of uh, even even wanting everything, the materialism and wanting everything very quickly. And this is really going to, you know, I'm going to say it though. The idea that you can have a relationship with God that quickly, like, give me that. I want it right now. That's how you, that's how you become a, a, a you know, a Christian. Well, we're going to get, we're going to get letters. <laughs> You become a Christian by saying the, the magic words, I accept, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, 
And boom. And, and most people that I know when I was growing up, when they had these altar calls, they were so emotional when they did it. And the difference, that, and I'm not bragging when I say this, I always held back because I thought these people are being caught up in the moment, literally the moment. They're crying and weeping and all that, and, and which later made me think about how the women in the temple uh, in, in historical Israel, would, when the temple had fallen into disuse, only to be used, misused when they would go in and they would cry for Tammuz, you know. And so the point is, is there's nothing wrong with, with, with your heart leading you and, and being emotional about your relationship with God. God wants that. But you have to, it has to come from a place of, of uh, first it begins in, in the mind, this is what draw, drew me to Torah, is that Torah does not tell you to throw your, your mental capacity and your logic out the window. It, you, and because the it's point, like, you know, that's exactly, there was a it, thing on Facebook, because I have to interrupt you, there's an unbelievable thing on Facebook, Rabbi please. Tovia Singer. Yeah. Rabbi Tovia Singer was debating with a missionary in, in the street in Jerusalem, right? And he mm -hmm. was just running around logically, running, running her in circles, and because she couldn't possibly answer anything that he was saying. And so at one point he said to her, just like, think. And she says, no, that's the problem. Don't think. Don't think, she says. Mm -hmm. The missionary says to him, that's the problem. No, no, this is not about thinking. Don't think, right? That's it, exactly. Yeah. So we might yeah. lose some listeners, Jim, but we might gain some listeners too. So you're coming mm -hmm. from you're coming from this background of, of your former faith and you're embracing the God of Israel and you have been for so many years. And there's a lot of people out there and we keep saying over and over again that Jerusalem Lights is about encouraging and helping people that are truly seeking spiritual truth to embrace the one God, right? You want to call him the God of Israel, you want to call him by his name, to embrace the one God and understand the reality of Hashem, of Deuteronomy 6, that Hashem is, is only one and that... And in no other form, right? So you know what? Here's a here's an email that I just got. Since you've already you've already opened this this can up, right? This can of light, right? <laughs> right? Here's an email that I got. Hello, Rabbi Richmond. Please do not add this to the already many issues you deal with, but I am struggling with leaving Christianity and moving to the belief in Hashem. I feel angry about being fooled into believing in Jesus as my Savior to the understanding and love of Hashem. I feel as though I am a lost soul in no man's land. Anyway, I so appreciate your teachings, and I'm asking you to please pray for me. I wrote back to her, you are an amazing and courageous and, and, and special person. And the, and, the, and the fact is, like, this is a, is a soul that is going through all of the things that we talk about, Vayetar, like churning up, right? And, she, and I said, the first thing I want you to know is that you're not alone. There are so many people that are going through this. And, and, and basically, Hashem is calling people out. Hashem is calling people out. And there's there is one God, and like there's nothing for us to apologize for if people want to turn the dial off, and well, that's okay. This is what we do. So yeah, it's free will. So there's there is there is one God, and so but a, but a person like this that's going through all of this, and look, we, we you know you and I were talking earlier before we came to Mike about another dear friend, a dear man who has gone through terrible personal personal persecution and for his belief in, in one God and leaving Christianity and his wife left him and his family and friends turned against him and he's and he stands up and he says, No, I'm I am not going to I am not going to be part of those lies anymore. And so that's Amen. that's that's really what it's all about. And it's it's all kind of uh, not kind of, it's all prophesized and it's all foreseen and it's all encapsulated in today's, this week's Torah portion mm -hmm. of the struggle between Yaakov and Esav because Esav and the Esavian force in the world wants to be master of this world. And, and again, Hanukkah is coming and it's about pulling the wool over everybody's eyes and thinking, don't, don't, there's nothing to see here. You know, it's all just something that you can hold on to and do your little, your little worship and, and, and be in control and not be responsible because because Torah is all about taking personal responsibility for every aspect of your of your uh, not only of your deeds but of your personality, right? Amen. I think we're running out of time. I just have to say one more thing, Jim, because we opened up an important topic before about well, what happens? You know, we're talking about Thanksgiving, and we're talking about thankfulness, and we're talking about prayer, and. Uh, and I mentioned to you, what about prayer that isn't answered, you know? And we just started talking about yeah. that. I want to point out uh, just a beautiful thought. Psalm 27. Psalm 27 ends with the verse, Hope to Hashem, 
be strong and be and 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 courageous of heart and hope to Hashem. So you know that in Torah every word is significant, and so the Hebrew verse, the the last verse of Psalm twenty-seven re- repeats the phrase twice: "Kave el Hashem, hope to Hashem, be strong and make your heart courageous and hope to Hashem." And the sages explain the idea being hope to Hashem, meaning pray. And if you see that your prayer is not coming true, keep praying, keep it up, repeat it. So we spoke about we spoke about Ve'etchanan and Moshe's prayer that did not come true, but the idea is that every prayer goes somewhere. It's an entity. It's a thing. You were talking yes. about the radio waves, and and that's how our thoughts are. That's how our prayers go, and they 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 go somewhere. They do something. They exist, right? So we think that the prayer is not answered, right? And it's not what it's not. Certainly, I'm not getting what I asked for. But it's but there's no such thing as a person who's going through the churning, like we described with Yisroel and Rivka, going through this process, sincerely praying and entreating Hashem and confronting their reality and changing. There's no such thing as a prayer like that that is not going to come back with results. It's not going to yield some sort of results. It may not be what you expected, but it will yield other results because it's a spiritual treasure and it's in the world and Hashem saves it and it's precious to him and if the decision is that that's not what he what he what he wills so then you're not going to get around that but it's not that it's the, that the energy is not going to be answered or wasted and so there's this beautiful idea because we spoke about you know Moshe prayed 515 times which is the numerical equivalent of the word ve'etchanan the first word of that yeah. Torah portion there in in Deuteronomy 3 but do you know that the word tefillah for prayer is 515 Wow. So it's the deepest thing in the world because the idea is that every single prayer of every person is included in that prayer of Moshe. So Moshe prayed, and of course everything that he did was selfless. So he prayed 515 times. He didn't get answered. He didn't get to come into the world. But every prayer kind of goes through the portal that he opened up of those 515 prayers. Tefillah itself is 515, and it all comes back and it all manifests itself in the in the most possible perfect way of of Hashem's will and timing. Yeah, and the other thing we say, as we mentioned earlier, if you look at the timetable of these events in this parsha, uh, God did answer the prayers of Itzhak and Rivka, but not right away. So don't so don't give up because maybe God because the other thing that we all realize is that also God has a timing for things, and apparently. Uh, Isaac and Rivka were not ready to have children just yet when, when they were younger. They had, to, they had to mature and get to a point where, my goodness, they had to bring two sons into the world and one of them was going to be the, uh, the leader of the nation of Israel or, or to give birth to the 12 tribes. So there's always timing, too. It's, it's an important dynamic. So, Jim, I want to wish you Happy Thanksgiving. Whether or not you're having Thank turkey you. and, and cranberry sauce and <laughs> stuffing, etc., and all of our listeners and viewers, every day should be Thanksgiving and at least one day. And remember how thankful we always are to Hashem for everything. And uh, may we have a beautiful upcoming month of Kislev, full of thanks, full of light and joy and love. Happy Thanksgiving. Amen. Shalom, shalom.